Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley. Welcome to the latest edition of our DebtWire podcast. On this episode, we are digging into the latest in adversary proceedings with Patrick Johnson, partner at Ackerman, where he is a veteran litigator and counselor to clients, engages in commercial litigation, bankruptcy, workouts, loan restructuring, and collections. On the podcast, Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu and Patrick talk about the ins and outs of adversary proceedings, particularly from a secured lender perspective. They also dig into how fraudulent conveyance and look-back periods have impacted bankruptcy cases historically and how those issues will be trending moving forward. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. What type of litigation commenced by lenders often precedes the filing of a Chapter 11 petition? What are the benefits and downside to a lender to pursue such litigation? Well, it usually all starts when a commercial loan, I, I deal mostly, if not almost entirely, with commercial loan problems for financial institutions. And it usually starts with a default, and that default is usually a payment default. There's some negotiations often, demand letters, and then finally there's a uh, a lawsuit filed, either in United States District Court, if there's jurisdiction in that court, which would usually be the case if there's diversity of jurisdiction between the lender and the borrower. If there's no jurisdiction, you file it in state court. And sometimes there's seizure of collateral, sequestration of collateral in connection with those lawsuits. And typically after that action, the borrower files a Chapter 11 petition. So how does this type of litigation affect recoveries and collateral? Well, you have no choice but to to start litigation because usually the lender is not being paid there's another default occurring or several defaults occurring that would, if not addressed, would cause the lender to lose its ability to collect its loan ultimately and to protect its collateral. So it's it's very beneficial often. And what is an adversary proceeding, if you can go into that? Sure. So once the Chapter 11 petition is filed, I'm not going to talk about generally what goes on in the Chapter 11 right after the petition is filed. But once it's filed, there are quite often adversary proceedings that are filed. What an adversary proceeding is, is a like a case, a lawsuit within the bankruptcy case itself. It has its own caption that's under the general caption of the bankruptcy case, its own case number. The complaint's filed in the Chapter 11 case, but you, the rest of the Chapter 11 case does not deal with the adversary proceeding the game, which has its separate number and it's a separate lawsuit and it moves forward like a lawsuit would in the United States District Court. Why are adversary proceedings handled separately from the Chapter 11 case, even though they are usually before the same bankruptcy judge who's handling the Chapter 11 case? Because the adversary proceeding proceeds like a lawsuit and to properly handle it, the Federal rules 
that govern civil lawsuits are used. So, for example, you have motions for partial summary judgment, motions for uh, judgment on the pleadings. You have discovery. You have pretrial conferences. You can have a trial. And there's an entire appeal process for that individual adversary proceeding. And those are not appropriate in the general bankruptcy case. And in fact, there's a bankruptcy rule that requires certain actions be filed by adversary proceedings so they're handled properly uh, under the civil federal rules. Do adversary proceedings slow down the Chapter 11 case? Typically not. The adversary proceedings proceed separately. The Chapter 11 case proceeds forward like the adversary proceedings not even happening. And the parties to the adversary proceeding handle that matter as the Chapter 11 case moves forward. So even if you get to a plan confirmation, the adversary proceeding or proceedings can continue and the debtor in possession will deal with them in the plan. For example, if it's a lien ranking proceeding, if lender A ends up in a first position, this is how it will be, its claim will be handled. If lender B ends up in the second position, this is how its situation will be handled under the plan. And then the adversary proceeding continues after the plan's confirmed. As a litigator, what are the most pressing challenges that you face in advising secured lenders? I find the most difficult ones are how you go about advising your client to settle or participate in mediation. And I say that because you have to actually consider, okay, and we're talking about adversary proceedings here, so we're talking about usually a very uh, important, complicated matter that has a lot of ramifications to the lender. So let's say it's a lean ranking case. Well, you have to try to figure out, okay, what is the bankruptcy judge going to rule on this? How is the federal district court judge, which is the first level appeal, how is he or she going to rule on it? And you don't even know who that person is sometimes. In fact, you, you literally never know because it's allotted randomly. And then how will the court of appeal decide? So you have to figure out what you think the bankruptcy judge is going to do, what you think the United States District Court judge is going to do, and what you think three judges on the United States Court of Appeals are going to do to figure out how you should tell your client to go about settlement negotiations, whether, the, whether to settle the matter or not. So I found those the most challenging. And then what are the most common forms of adversary proceedings? Well, for the debtor in possessions, they file collection actions. Now, that's to collect money the debtor in possession is owed. The, and those are not often filed against lenders or secured creditors. What is filed often against lenders and secured creditors are preference actions, fraudulent conveyance actions. Preference actions are to recover money paid to an unsecured lender or an undersecured lender within 90 days of the filing of the bankruptcy because it's something that they would not have received the full amount of that payment if the Chapter 7 had been taking place on that day of the payment. But the, the more important ones are when a fraudulent conveyance action is filed against a lender. Uh, that can be uh, significant and often is. And just to 
you know, fraudulent conveyance sounds, you hear the word fraud, everybody thinks it's only fraud. Well, that's not the case there. There are provisions that allow the clawback of transfers based on fraudulent activity. But the biggest exposure for lenders is under the fraudulent transfer laws. You can get back, if you will, transfers that occurred because there was no reasonably equivalent value given to the debtor in possession pre-petition in exchange for what it transferred. So, for example, a lender lends money to an entity or individual and the debtor in possession provides the collateral for that loan. Well, the, the debtor in possession files the fraudulent conveyance action and says, you lent that money to, to A, I provided all the collateral, yet I didn't get reasonably equivalent value. I didn't receive the money. And I was insolvent when it occurred. That's the position of the debtor in possession. And those cases are hard fought. There's usually a lot at stake. In my example, the lender could lose all its collateral. What type of exposure do lenders face in an adversary proceeding? You know, for instance, you mentioned fraudulent conveyance actions. But what are the look-back periods under the bankruptcy code as well as the state law? How hard is it to prove that a fraud code took place? The look-back periods, that's a very good question. The look-back periods are under two laws. Under Section 548 of the Bankruptcy Code, the look-back period is two years. Under Section 544 of the Bankruptcy Code, the look-back period depends on the state in which the case is pending, the bankruptcy case is pending. So there are uniform laws that have been suggested that the states adopt, and many of them have adopted these uniform fraudulent transfer laws. And under those laws, it's a four-year look-back period. But you need to look at each state's law to determine the look-back period. For example, in Louisiana, the look-back period is three years. And in other states, it's different periods of time. So that would determine what the look-back periods are for fraudulent conveyance actions. Do lenders ever commence adversary proceedings, for example, non-dischargeability actions? Yes. And let me first go back to the fraudulent transfer situation, because I wanted to mention one other thing. The biggest fight with fraudulent transfer actions often is over whether the debtor was insolvent when the transfer took place. The, um, it's usually pretty easy to show that, well, you provided, let's say in my example, not always easy, but in my example, you provided I, I, the debtor in possession, provided collateral for a loan and I didn't receive any of the proceeds. Well, that you're not getting reasonably equivalent value there. But you also have to prove that the debtor was insolvent at the time. That is usually quite a battle and, and has caused uh, quite a bit of case law through the years, especially in the leveraged buyout context. So that's where your biggest battles are. But now going to your question about lenders commencing adversary proceedings. Uh, yes, the Rashmi, the lenders will file actions commencing an adversary proceeding asking that the bankruptcy court determine that its claim, which is from its loan, 
is non-dischargeable and there are, or that the, the debtor is not entire, entitled to a discharge at all. And those grounds include, for example, on the non-dischargeability, if the borrower submitted a false financial statement to the lender on which that lender relied, then its claim should be held non-dischargeable. And this is a big deal because in a, for example, in a chapter seven case, a borrower, uh, after it liquidates the assets it has to liquidate is granted a discharge, which is the fresh start comp- concept of bankruptcy. And in the chapter 11 reorganization, if a debtor confirms a plan under section 1141, it also is discharged from anything not covered by the plan. So if a lender has its claim declared non-dischargeable, the debtor gets none of those benefits and the lender can pursue that borrower forever. So those are usually hotly contested if the borrower has means going forward. So what have been some of the most interesting situations you have advised on? Well, I'll take dischargeability since that's the last one we were talking about and uh, tell you that um, I handled one where the bar, the the bank's loan was declared non-dischargeable by the bankruptcy court. The district court affirmed it. And then before the court of appeals, as I mentioned earlier, you appear before three judges. And those judges asked me so many questions and was so intense in their questioning that I'll not, that, that I'll never forget after the hearing. In fact, their questions didn't end until my time would have been up to give my entire argument. So they, they let me argue after that. And I'll never forget afterward, my client who was watching said, you know, I am so glad I'm not you. That, that, that was just brutal. <laughs> and I thought to myself, uh, yeah, it really was. We don't have a chance. And she said, yeah, we're in trouble. And then a few months later, they issued an opinion in our favor and affirmed the non-dischargeability and that, that's an unusual situation, and, and uh, I found it very interesting because lenders, they don't often go for the non-dischargeability or, or denial of discharge actions. And when they do, like I said, they're hotly contested. So I found that one very interesting. Well, congrats on your victory there. And then what do you see in lenders' futures in the space? Coincidentally, I received a report. I think it was yesterday from the U.S. courts. They'll put these out from time to time. And they pointed out that business bankruptcy filings fell 33.7% in 2021. Chapter 11 filings were above 7,000 in 2017, 2018, and 2019, just to put some perspective on this, and above 8,000 in 2020. In 2021, there were only 4,800. Or so. Now, I think in lenders' futures of what's going to happen after the relief funding that we've seen as a result of the pandemic goes away, you're going to return to those levels, if not higher, and lenders are going to have their commercial loan issues to deal with and their Chapter 11s to deal with much more than in 2021. At least that's my prediction. Patrick, thank you so much. Thank you, Reshmi. I enjoyed speaking with you. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also check us out on the Wistia platform. Bye.